Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We're back once again and it is time to review the Brazilian Grand Prix. I am Jesse Billington and as always I'm joined by my co-hosts Timo Almos daly and Ellie May Taylor. How are you both this evening? I'm pretty darn good, thank you Mr Jesse Billington. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm on a little bit of a high after the weekend. Met Richard Hammond, met Mike Brewer, met Johnny Smith, met Alex Kirsten, ended up backstage, ended up doing a live talk at the NEC to a sold-out audience. That was a bit weird. But yeah, a bit of a crazy one, but a good one nonetheless. Ellie May, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm tired from the weekend. I took myself on a nice date and had a nice solo trip to see Phantom of the Opera, which was just amazing. It's good, isn't it? It's Timo's rolling his eyes. It is incredible. Like, I mean, yeah. For anyone who's not a fan of musical theatre, you could probably skip the next five minutes because it is just a great show. It's just, I mean, at the start, when they're in like the auction bit and then it all like the lights go out and it's just the chandelier and then the chandelier's like raising up with all the phantom music. I had tears in my eyes. It's, it is a spectacle. Anyway, speaking of spectacles, we saw this weekend the Brazilian Grand Prix, and we had a sprint race that, as last year, wasn't terrible. Um, so we've got plenty to talk about in many regards. So we'll crack on with what the hell has happened. And we'll start with the important thing from Friday, which was Kevin Magnussen pole at his 100th Grand Prix with Haas. Ellie May, tell us more. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have predicted it coming into... Brazil. Not even we did that, and we're pretty bold. Yeah. Uh, it all started, didn't it, when, well, it was going, rain was imminent in Q3. Everyone got in a banker lap on soft tyres apart from Charles Leclerc. And because of that whole mess with Charles Leclerc on Inters, it hindered Perez. But everyone else, clean lap, Kevin Magnussen was fastest in his own right. And then George Russell crashed, red flagged it. The rain came down. Everyone realised, we're not going to be faster than Kevin Magnussen. And he took pole, which is, yeah, like you said, his 100th Grand Prix and the 143rd race for Haas as well. And it means that Denmark's now the 24th nation to take pole, which I was trying to think, who would take It's a really low number. Yeah, but you then look at how many sort of other countries have had long periods of dominance in F1. Germany, so many times with Sebastian Vettel and and Michael Schumacher. I know, it's just you see like 70 plus years of F1 history and you think it should be around 30 maybe because you get a one-off driver here or there. But then you realise that those one-off drivers are still aren't from like random-ass countries that don't get represented in F1 all that often. Yeah, your Central Asia is your Africa's, basically. Mm. You've got no one from there coming through to lay down a pole time. But anyway, anyway, back to Kevin Magnussen. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, it makes me wonder whether, like, who would be the 25th nation? Like, who's the most likely to now get a pole? Current, like, who's currently going to be on the grid, I guess, next year? If we were going to see it, Guan Yu Joe, I guess. Yeah. Or Alex Salvin. Yeah, he's tie? not scored a tie. He's the first uh, tie F1 driver, I want to say. And he's not had a pole. No, he's the second one because he's the prince in the 50s. Oh, yeah. But he's, but did but he he's get not got a pole? pole position, no. Yeah, so he's not got a pole yet. So there's, it's either going to be tie 
or it's going to be Chinese with Zhou, or it could be... Has any American driver in recent history got a pole position? I'd say Mario Andretti's probably got a pole yeah. position. Uh, Andretti's probably had a pole. That's Let's small see. name, Let's have a quick Google. What about um, Japan? I know we've had a few Japanese, but have they ever taken pole? Uh, that's got to result in Yuki actually being able to... To, to drive properly for a consistent amount of time though sorry Yuki but maybe a chef's idea is a better one my humblest apologies to Mario Andretti the man has 10 uh, 18 pole positions to his say, name he's got a, he's got at least one championship as well so probably two but let's see let's, let's see if there's a list of F1 pole 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 position that might do the job let's see Formula 1 pole position trophy uh, well, no, Jesse looks up though. Interestingly, it's the fourth ah, uh, new pole driver in 2022 season. So you've got signed Russell, Magnussen, and Perez. Which it's mad that Perez is on that list for this year, but that's another story entirely. So, and again, you've got Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, which you kind of expect normally in Formula One anyway. But it's that kind of. I don't know if you can put it down to the regulations coming into effect this year, but Haas being there definitely is a wild card regardless of the year you're in there. So it's nice to see however we got here, we got it. Yeah, he definitely did it in his own right. And I think as well, if you look at all the podiums, we've only, apart from Lando, mm-hmm. we've only had Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari. So to think he's the fourth person to get pole for the first time this year is pretty crazy as well it's a bit nuts when you say the podiums thing are their own every podium this year so far has had one of the top three drivers on it so it's either had a max a Charles, or a checo on the podium you've always had at least one of them on the podium which is kind of a mad statistic that they've all three of them have been on podium finishing sort of quality the entire season going back to the pole sitters thing i've got i found a full list of it so you've obviously got United Kingdom, 291 poles across 19 drivers. Germany, 166 across eight. Brazil, 126 across six. France, 79 pole positions across nine drivers. That's a pretty good spread, actually. Um, Finland, weirdly high, 70 poles, but only across five drivers. So very limited number of drivers coming through. I can there. think of two of them anyway. Oh, uh, Keki, Bottas as well, actually. Keki, Keki, no, it's Keki Rosberg. German. Um, yeah, that's what very, I thought. Very, very German. Kimi, Mika and Bottas are the three yeah. obvious ones. It's the other two that are trickier then. Finnish F1 drivers. Mika Hakkinen? With... Yeah, he's I said Hakkinen. Mika. Ah, here we go. Right, yeah. okay. Can can you guess what I assume are going to be the other Clearly the other not. Ones? Otherwise... Oh, come on. Them. You should you should be able to figure them out, at least. Oh, no, no. Hang on. We've got one of them. Keke Rosberg. Yeah. So he is Finnish. Yeah. He is Finnish. Yeah, Keke Rosberg, Finnish former racing driver. It's weird. So it's the two Rosbergs. Uh, no, 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 because no, Rosberg no, Jr. is German. Rosberg Jr. is German. German, that's it. We've got I Kimi. knew one of them was German and one was Finnish. Um, we've got Kimi, Kimi, we've got Mika, we've got we've Keke got Rosberg. We've got Bottas. Uh, yes, we have Bottas. So who's the fifth? Would we know him? You would recognise the name, most likely. That's different to knowing it. Hmm? Who did he drive for? That's different to knowing it. Yeah. Um, He drove for Renault, McLaren, Team Lotus, Caterham and Lotus F1. 
they drove from 2007 to 2013 with 112 entries, 111 starts. They've won once. They've had a pole position once, two fastest laps, and 105 career points with four podiums. I feel an apology coming on. This is worse than your uh, your Villeneuve question in the quiz back in August. <laughs> it is, because that, that I feel like Villeneuve, this... But... Yeah. Well, uh, I was going for the one I liked. <laughs> Would you like because me to put de- you out of your misery? know him. Does you do, because he's relatively recent, 2013. Yeah. I must have been asleep that year. Go on. Did he outright retire? Or did um, he get sort of... Yeah, just sort of wrapped up at the end of 2013. He's now doing... Uh, 24 hours of Le Mans stuff, super GTs. Everyone does that. Just put us out of our misery. Heiki Kovalainen. Oh, of course. I forgot he could actually. I forgot he won. He He won a race. Decent little driver. Italy, 48 pole positions out of 13 drivers. Austria, 46 pole positions. Three drivers. Well, Nicky's one of them, so... Yeah, Nicky Lauda. Yeah, Nicky Lauda. Well, let's not do this game for the whole thing. We're not going to get to Brazil. Can we do this as a bonus? Who was Jochen Rint? Rint was Austrian, was he? Yeah. Pretty sure. So that's the, it could be the second. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jochen Rint, Austrian. Uh, Let's see. So there's one. Say the third one and then we can move on. Uh, Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, mm, mm, mm. no, he didn't have any poles. Nicky Lauda, 24 poles. Jochen Rint, 10. Um, ah, you're again, you're gonna kick yourself. Big name, then just say it. I'll give you the teams he drove for. ATS, oh my Arrow. god, just say it. I don't, we care. love a quiz. ATS, oh, we oh I really don't care. <laughs> oh, no, we love a quiz. Oh. Ellie Ray loves a quiz. ATS, Arrows, Benetton, Ferrari, McLaren. Active years from 1984 through 1997, 210 race entries, 10 wins, 48 podiums, 385 career points, 12 pole positions, and 21 fastest laps. The emphasis on pole positions there is if that's more than podiums or wins. But, but that's what we're talking about with pole positions at this point in time, off the I back know, of Kevin Magnussen's amazing pole. It's a fun little section. People are going to enjoy this. Ellie May, have you it's... got any ideas who it might be? I can give you some of their te- a teammate that might help you along. Just okay. Google it, Ellie. Man. 1990 <laughs> and 1991, he drove alongside Ayrton Senna. I knew you were going to... Oh. He also had a 50% stake in Scuderia Toro Rosso from 2006 to 2008. Looks a little face. I haven't got it. A wild guess. A name from the annals of history. Oh, God. The only people I can think of like the obvious ones. I'm trying to think of like 90s drivers. Nothing? Anything coming at all? His first entry was the 1984 Austrian Grand Prix, his home race. His first win was 1986 in Mexico. His last win was 1997 in Germany. And his last entry was 1997 at the European Grand Prix. You're going to have to edit some of this gonna, down so they're going to have so many long gaps. Beside. I'm going to edit out the pauses. That way, at least everyone's <laughs> going to seem smarter if we edit out the pauses. I just, I'm going to kick myself. I just can't think of it. Gerhard Berger. Oh, 
I'm so annoyed. Other countries are making lists. The United so States already have pole positions to their name. 39 with 15 drivers. Argentina, 38. Australia, 35. Spain, 25. Netherlands, 19. Obviously, all of those being Max Verstappen. Monaco, 18. All of those being Charles Leclerc. Um, Canada, 16. Sweden, 15. Belgium, 14. Colombia, 13. Switzerland, 7. Uh, New Zealand, 6. South Africa, 3. Poland have one pole position to their name. I should think that's Robert Kubica. Uh, Venezuela, 1 pole position. Mexico, Checo Perez, one pole position, and Denmark now have one pole position. That's a, that's a fun little section. There's a full list is available on Wikipedia. They've got them all marked out by championships if they're still active drivers. Uh, most pole positions of any time is, of course, Lewis Hamilton with 103. And Wikipedia is a very trusted source. It is a very trusted source. It is edited by some of the smartest people in the world, the general public. Anyway, Kevin Magnuson he came uses into it for all his classical weekly articles, just so uh, everyone knows. No, it that all comes from deep in the bowels of my brain. Exclusively, that's all he, internal. He has, a, he, has a, he has a filing cabinet in his brain. Just sort of go and through, find yeah. all the facts, and then all the F one facts that I learn get shuffled into it, and then I slowly become Ted Kravitz. Um, so Kevin Magnuson opened up the weekend. Talking of facts that only you know for some reason. Go on. There's your segue. Oh, that was just a segue. No, I, like, I was giving you a segue. Oh, because Jesus written, Christ! It was written down as Eddie. <laughs> trying to get us point. back on track. Yours is the next thing on the list. My God, man. Um, yes. So Kevin Magnuson poll, and then uh, when we get round to the actual race on Sunday, we'll sort of skip the sprint, which wasn't particularly exciting. We obviously saw a little bit of damage with Max Verstappen, and he sort of dropped back through the grid, running on medium tires. It was a decent sprint by all regards, unless Timo's got anything oh. to add. I would say it was easily the best sprint of the year and was actually, much like Brazil last year, an actual case for a sprint weekend working. I don't like the fact that I say that, but we had a good bit of racing out there and a bit of drama throughout the field. It wasn't just like last year. We all remember because Lewis came from the back and managed to get to fifth. But aside from that, you don't really remember much else going on. At least this time, you had Lewis, George, Max and doing that kind of thing. You had Alpine, you had Aston Martin, you had K-Mac fending everyone off. You had a little bit of stuff throughout there. And I feel like if you can get a right track like Brazil, and unlike the other four that we've gone to previously, it can work. It's just trying to find out which tracks those are. And I still don't think we need it at all for a weekend to make it more exciting. But if they are going to do it, they really need to nail where they're going because Imola snorefest and didn't work at all. So whereas Austria kind of worked, kind of didn't, and it's weird. So it's kind of very track specific. And you see in F2 and F3 sprint races, it works a lot better. But is that because they're different cars and because there's more of them? Or how does that all kind of factor into it? So I think Brazil was a good indicator, but with going up to six, it's going to be very interesting next year. It's a growing so I experiment. I don't like the sprints, but this one worked. Hmm. This one definitely worked, and it's definitely a growing experiment. But I mean, the next point that I've got on my list is Kevin Magnussen starts from pole. Great. It's looking great for the guy. Um, then obviously he loses a few places through the sprint race. Come Sunday, he's got a still a decent starting place. He's starting from P8 on the grid. He's already got a point from 
the sprint race in itself and he gets driven into the back of by Daniel Ricciardo which leads to the fun statistic of both Kevin's lap one retirements have happened in Brazil and both involving McLaren's last time out it was Stoffel van Dorn can't remember what the year was off the top of my head but there we go 2010 2010 thank you Timo no I'm just making it up oh well of course was it 2017 Let's see. Um, what year did stop? Like another little quiz. Here we go. Bets on the line, please, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you've got three years that Stoffel would have raced for uh, McLaren. So let's 17, see. then I'm going to go 17. I was expecting you to have it right in front of you so you wouldn't have to look quite so gormless as you figured out if it was true or not don't be so rude I've been busy um, it was 2017 yes Brazil retirement uh, you Lovely. you take that claim as if you won that as if I hadn't already said 2017 <laughs> Ellie may did say, <laughs> say 2017 first but anyway there we go it's just a fun little fact that Kevin Magnussen's uh, both both his lap on retirement in Brazil have involved McLaren's um and obviously his crash resulted in a safety car, which means that Mexico so far of the last eight races has been the only race that's been safety car free, which is a fun little stat. We've had quite a few of them coming out of the past few races. Arguably more than we've needed them, but that's another discussion for another time. Yes. And not always have they been the safest of safety cars. See Japan. No, no. But that does bring us on to the other main news from the weekend, which is that we had... Not just a Mercedes win, which is already shocking enough in 2022, which is weird to say, but we had a Mercedes 1-2, which the last time that happened was roughly 712 days ago, depending on the time of listening, and that would have been the Imola Grand Prix in 2020. And that now means that Mercedes have, I think, 46 race wins where they've got a 1-2, which a uh, fun little fact that will please Jesse a lot. And obviously, it's Mercedes' last win since Saudi 2021, which seems roughly a year ago, which is not far off, to be honest. So uh, just about there, probably a couple of weeks off. But um, interesting that you get a win and it's a 1-2, because then the other fun fact, which I put in the group chat last night, much to Ellie Mae's delight, uh, they now have the same number of 1-2s this season as Ferrari. Which is a total of one. Yes, I know, but it's it's weird because it's when you look at Mercedes' year, you're like, okay, good. You've it's not good, but it's good because of where they've been. And you look at Ferrari, and think, holy shit! Especially when the one-two was in Bahrain. I don't know because if <laughs> at you the very very start of the year, if you think to last year, the only one-two that came was McLaren. Neither Red Bull or... Yeah, but well, I'm just saying, because of how competitive Ferrari have looked this year, especially when it's just been then Red Bull for the main part, you would think that to be getting some place in the constructors as well. Okay, third place is good and all that, and you could be in a lot of one threes or a lot of two threes maybe, but it's just curious that it's only Red Bull who have more than one one-two finish this year. It's just, it's just weird as Ferrari don't have at least two or three. It just shows how much they've cocked up this year I feel like because they've had more potential than than anyone coming into this year and Red Bull still managed to trounce them completely It's an interesting stat and I think it definitely says a lot about Mercedes coming onto form very late in the season as well which I think we'll get onto when it comes to our Abu Dhabi preview I know I've got a few notes chucked in there um, 
So obviously, yeah, George Russell wins the Grand Prix. Absolutely amazing work. Wins the sprint race as well. But obviously the Grand Prix is the only one that gets classified as a race win because sprint is technically a form of qualifying. So it doesn't technically count. Um, but he is the 20th British driver to win a Grand Prix. However, at the moment, he is the only, he is one of three British drivers to have just one win to his name. If we want to add another silly little quiz element to this, do you reckon you could name the other two British drivers that have one win to their name? The people I can think of are too big. Hit me with them anyway, you might be correct. Well, it's no, not going to be Lewis Hamilton, is it? So, no, no. no. And, it, and it's not, if Lando doesn't have a win, Nope. It is, but can we just point out how amusing it is that George was with William for how many years? George Mercedes at possibly the worst possible time and still gets a race win before Lando does when he had so many opportunities last year. It's definitely a testament That's to... That's going to hurt a little bit. It's a testament to George's ability to get a lot out of a very poor car. And doesn't say much from Are Lando's we... ability to get a lot out of a poor car. Mm. Are we talking far back like... We are talking um, as far back as the officialness of F1, so 1952, mm-hmm. 1950, whenever it started. Right. The, further, the furthest Englishman the thing is, I I'm thinking think of people like, to Mike, Hawthorne. like Mike Hawthorne. Yeah, who Mike won Hawthorne the has, championship. He has yeah. three wins to his name, so you're close. You're also thinking in roughly Is it, is the it right his theme. best friend? Oh, what's his best friend called? <laughs> his, Jim? Oh, like, mon ami. He he died in fifty. Was it fifty-eight? That doesn't narrow it down. Fifty-nine. Oh, uh, what? Are you going to name it now, Jesse? I'm like, oh, is it this person? When you know the answer. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of who Ellie May's on about. Actually, he, he I think he he drove. He, he drove the Ferrari. Enzo Ferrari thought of him as like a son. He was another British driver. It was another British driver. Peter Collins. I know who you're thinking of. I know who you're thinking of. Peter Collins. Peter Collins. Yes. Peter Collins also has three wins to his name. You're getting slowly ever closer down the list of British drivers with Grand Prix wins. What? Because we can name three. We wouldn't. It's not pointless, is it? No, they both. They well, this isn't pointless, but we've got a list of sorts. Uh, basically, I'm looking for the two other British drivers that have just one win to their name. Both Collins and Hawthorne have three wins to their name. So we're slowly getting less and less race wins to their name. Oh, I can't think of his name. Description. Man, Formula One driver, 1950s. Um, Quick person. I think in the, this is going to sound handsome. so weird, but in, in, and I don't think you'll get it from this because it's so out there. I think in 1950, at Silverstone, I think he came something like four. <laughs> so it's a real good moment if she's right. We don't know whether to be impressed or horny or both. I, um, I haven't got anyone winning in 1950 at Silverstone on this list. Uh, the no, numbers- she came fourth at Silverstone. Listen to the woman. Or fourth, because this list only goes back as far as 1952 when it when obviously well, this all started. That's very considerate of you, Jesse. I feel like you've done terrible research here into this segment and it's just absolutely not on. 
You'd think that I just sort of made this section up completely on the fly. You'd think really. so, wouldn't you? But we're, we're not like that. We're more, no. more professional podcasts, so I don't know what this is all about. So the other driver to have three race wins to their name is Johnny Herbert. Yeah, but we're looking for one race win. Just tell us those. I'm working down the list. I'm building oh the tension. God, you're infuriating. And then we get to the drivers, the British drivers with just one race win to their name. We obviously have George Russell off the back of this weekend. Then from 1970 through 1974, their only race win coming at the 1971 Italian Grand Prix, uh, which he won, I think, for... Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I haven't got it off the top of my head. Uh, We're going to die of old age. BRM. It was Peter Gethin. And oh, then would have never got that. Nope. And then the other one is a slightly more regular recognized name, which was uh, Innes Island, who won in the US mm. Grand Prix in 1961 for Lotus. That's true. I would have known that. Mm. So, yeah, George Russell is now just one of three British drivers with just one race victory to their name. Unlike the other two, though, he can increase that number. He does still have the ability to increase that um, as he is actively racing and and probably alive. Yeah, Innes Island has sadly been dead since 1993, and uh, Peter Gethin since 2011. So, sizable advantage for Russell, though. He's definitely got the upper hand in this fight. But anyway, that's that's the, it's just a fun little statistic. We're going to pepper this with statistics. It's fun. Speaking of which, anyway, there's another one right off the bat for you right now, isn't there? Um. I'm not sure. I'm looking through my um, I'm looking through my like notes of the Thank past God to try to find that winner that I saw. Um, <laughs> Just okay, making it as back. easy for you as you can there. Wobbling my cursor around Google Doc. British one two since Canada 2010. Uh, it was the 2010 Canadian Grand Prix where Hamilton won and with Jensen Button in second. With McLaren. With McLaren, yes. Yeah, so it's been a, a while since we've had a double British 1-2, but there could be more on the horizon if this is the performance that George Russell's able to get out of the W13. And obviously we know Lewis can wrangle a podium out of it as well. So promising things if you want to hear more of God Save the King, which of course this weekend marked the first time we'd ever heard it at a Formula One event. So that's also a fun little statistic. Sort of. The first time in motorsport being at Extreme a little while ago in, I want to say Chile, but it possibly... South America. Of, um, X40. Correct. Well done, geography. But interestingly there, Lewis Hamilton's British X44 team winning there. So it's the, it's all connected. It's all coming together. Um, the final little stat we have is one that I've already actually mentioned, which was the fact that uh, every race this season has had at least one of the top three drivers on the podium, which just goes to show how tight it's been at the top this season, even if Max Verstappen has raced away. Um, I think the rest of the race we'll sort of cover when we get into our next section, which is winners and spinners. So we'll I was up. thinking of Reg Parnell. Uh, no, never, won a, never won a race. Oh. But I know yeah. the guy you're on about, Reg Parnell. Is he, is he, did, he, did he come forth in the 1950 Silverstone Grand Prix? Uh, <laughs> Am I even right? Let's let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, 1950. 1950 Silverstone. Um, nope, there was no fourth to his name there. Oh. Let's see if there's a full list. Here we go. 1950 British Grand Prix held at Silverstone. He came third 
Oh, so close. <laughs> <laughs> so close. I don't know why that's more satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it was the um he only partook in one race that year and somehow still came ninth. <laughs> and Eddie May still couldn't get it right. <laughs> he took he did one race and came ninth. <laughs> you say I still couldn't get it right. Like you know your 1950s F1 history. Neither do you. <laughs> She at least made an attempt to take part in my quizzes. It's just a warm-up for a few weeks' time. Uh, Don't worry, dear listener, the quiz in a few weeks' time should be a bit easier. I don't think I'll go into quite that much um, pedantic detail. Anyway. Is that because there'll be people that can throw things at you in person if you get a bit too pedantic? Yeah, I'm going to get glassed if I start asking people about the 1954 Formula One World Championship and asking who won the Indianapolis 500 that year, because that counted as a race. Um... I'm going to have to find out now. I can't, I can't let that one sit. Um, who did win the, uh, what was it, 500? Jack McGrath with a Jack Hinkle. There we go. Um, now, here's pole position. It was Bill Vukovic, actually. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, anyway, completely pointless stuff aside, it's time for winners and spinners, our next section. And Timo, I'll let you open this one up as you've got two people written in as your winner this weekend. Well, I've got a team and a person because I will, I will let... Uh the race would never be talked about elsewhere, but Mercedes as a whole, in at a weekend and in a season where they've, let's face it, not been the top team that we've been expecting of them for the last eight plus years, they really pulled it all together and showed Ferrari how to actually make good decisions and showed Red Bull how to work as a team, which is ridiculous that I can even say that, considering Red Bull ran away with both championships this year, but we'll get to that later. Um, and while I'm sure if and when Mercedes are back up there regularly, there will probably be some fireworks between Lewis and George. They know that at the moment they have to work together. And whilst they were allowed to race, it was interesting to see that, because I think Lewis, if he'd wanted to, he could have pushed George a bit harder than he did towards the end. There was a 1.1 to 1.3 second gap. But again, it was reminiscent of Lando in Monza last year with Daniel. He could have done, but he thought, you know what? Maybe as much as I want that 104th win and that, that that win to be at least winning one race for every season I've been competing, you are pretty, probably at such a more mature level at this point. Let's just make sure we get this and we don't cock it up because you know that George is going to race you hard for that, especially when it's your first race win. Um so just a really well-oiled machine from from all of them across the weekend. There, I mean, qualifying didn't obviously go brilliantly, but recover that in the sprint, make it even just capitalise on it for the Grand Prix. Jobs are good, and there we go, job done, Bosch. And then Alonso deserves a shout out because he just did a lot. Alonso does, and uh, got a bit of a tiff with Ocon during the sprint, which was just delicious watch because if he thinks Ocon's a problem wait till he gets to Stroll next year he's already gotten to Stroll in Austin (laughs) Uh, but it's going to matter more next year when it happens and does make me wish so hard it's not going to happen but I really wish that it was Alonso and Vettel at Aston Martin next year because if it was those two just imagine how gorgeous that could be and how good that team could actually be then you'd have a reason to root for Aston Martin it would be just lovely um, but they'd somehow just win everything. Exactly. It would be that's what you want from new regulations. You want Aston Martin to actually be there, and you can support them. 
Whereas at the moment, they're driving with one hand tied behind their back and you've got Alonso who's going to just get gradually more and more annoyed. Which and they is going to be great for us to watch. But yeah, I, again, where does he fit in there? So, you know. Um, but Alonso, P17 or P15 on starting on Sunday, mid or all the way up to P5. Everyone's focusing on Georgian, rightly so. But Alonso P5. I was, he came it's through the final yeah, the final good. phase of that race. He came through like an absolute rocket sled on rails. There was nothing stopping it. Finished him. ahead of both Red Bulls for Christ's sake. It got so to the point where Alonso. yeah, it literally got to the point where I was getting so excited because I was thinking, hang on, he might actually get third here, and I might be right in my prediction. I like, I'm not. Mad. I'm, I'm just disappointed you're not wearing your hat, Ellie May. What is that about? No. Because I was <laughs> running late, I am. Um, there was there were actually quite a few driver of like winners. I think from this race, weirdly enough, that like because of the chaos of what's happened, I think will kind of be forgotten about. I think for certain, just kind of segueing. Oh well, yeah, I think spinning off of um, Alonso for a minute. Ocon did well this weekend. I think it'd be a bit harsh to sort of. Hey, you can definitely hump sort of heap praise on to S on Fernando Alonso, but Ocon came from pretty far down the grid as well and drove He's through. in my he's in my bad books though for the weekend, I've got to say, for reasons. Oh come on, he lived- no, no, I, I understand why. And he did all right, but I'm just we can get to there in a bit. In the sprint, he limped home that car to the end. It was absolutely pissing coolant everywhere. It was about to cook itself. George's car was actually through the Grand Prix as that's, well. He was, to be fair, that's yeah. the Alpine any other week. That is the Alpine any other week is sort of somehow limping its way we home. We should be used to damage. doing that by now. We shouldn't be having so much of an issue with doing that. It's just but driving an Alpine. Ocon drove with his with his teeth bared through the second half of that race. Like he was like, I, I want to race Alonso. And he he knew that if he was going to at least let Alonso pass safely, he needed to at least get Vettel first. And he said, no, let me race Vettel and then I'll allow Alonso pass. He was thinking two steps ahead. That fair enough, race Alonso, do it and maybe act like he is your teammate and that you aren't fighting for wins and championships just yet. So you can calm the f- down a bit and don't, try and nerf him off quite so much as he did in, in the race week. he played it a lot more sensibly but when it yeah, came but to I wonder to... if that was because of you've been told and he's been I think the right dressing down by Otmar both of them got a bit of a shouting at by Otmar Zafnar I wouldn't be surprised yeah but I don't think Alonso gave a sh- to be honest because he's out of there in a minute yeah that's true Ockham could... might have winced a little I feel like Otmar must have a guy to do it for him because I couldn't imagine Otmar. Have being you like seen Otmar? Stern... He looks like he's stressed enough to have done that. He looks like he's drained from shouting at two grown men all evening. But he, he would have snapped. Tired. It wouldn't be like an aggressive sort of like it wouldn't have been like a Malcolm Tucker. It would have been. No, it'd be just a big sigh and disappointment and be like, oh my god, I need yeah. a drink after this. It, it yeah, it would have been completely the opposite. It wouldn't have been big shouting theatrics. You'd, you'd find him down at the hotel bar afterwards as Gunter and Gunter like first time. <laughs> yeah, just sort of Gunter comes down and sees Otmar just sort of cradling his head on the bar, just rubbing a cold Negroni across his forehead, just like, oh. and just sort of he comes over, pats him on the back, and goes, Fox Smash teammate. Yes, Fox Smash teammate Gunter. He just comes across and goes, I know, I know a company that does good doors. If you, if you need a door to smash, let me know I'm your guy. <laughs> I, I really want some of the off season content 
beat Otmar and Gunter going to one of those rage rooms and just smashing it all up just to get the stress of the season out. Just go to B and Q and just start punching through drywall. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll move on from your winner, Timo, to Ellie May, your winners. Yeah, does it not make more sense for you to do yours first? I mean, mine's pretty obvious, so we'll, we'll let you do yours and sort okay. of continue the discussion. Also, you've got sort of a selection of winners on yours, so... Yeah, I will just, first of all, have a special mention, I think, to Valtteri Bottas. I think where he ended up didn't reflect his race because he was sort of it, like, what was it, sixth? And it, I think the safety car just ruined his race a bit. So it was Bottas at the beginning of the season, wasn't it? It was nice. He, his yeah. strategy wasn't quite there, but his race driving and performance was. And he came home, what, ninth, eighth? And he got a few points eighth. for it. Yeah. Eighth, yeah, two points on the board. And it was a good drive from Bottas. It was. He's fending also... off that uh, P10 advancement from Vettel in the Drivers' Championship. He wants it badly. <laughs> I did see a real cute clip. Um, I didn't actually have time to listen to it, so I just saw it with the subtitles. Jesse knows what I'm on about. Where Latifi and... Joe were in front and Bottas can see that Joe's trying to get past him and he, so he gets on the radio and he's like tell Joe to get him at turn 10 because he's breaking before Joe is and that's how you'll get him and I just thought oh, he's such a good egg he is such a good egg he's sitting there watching he, he's obviously coming around to either I think he's either coming around to lap Joe or different tyre strategy at this point I've seen him in a strange order but yeah he's sat behind them coming around for a few laps and he's like he's driver coaching Joe through the race and I'm like you've obviously you're just sort of driving for a bit of the fun of it at this point you're back down at, you're down at Alfa Romeo but you care about the drivers around you, you care about the team the team spirit which is the complete antithesis or antipodean sort of nature to what we saw with every other team on the grid this weekend where they were all going hell for leather at each other. You've got Bottas driving around giving hints and tips to his little rookie buddy. They went out for a drink afterwards as well. There's a really cute selfie from Joe on his Instagram story of the two of them out for a drink and he was like, he's just a nice guy. And yeah. We have that Netflix episode where he takes him to Finland and sticks him in the sauna with him and just slaps him on the back of their bare, bare, both bare naked and was like, Right, Joe. This is what you want to do. It, we just sort of, sort of slapped him on the back and accidentally knocks him into a into a sort of cold <laughs> lake or something, and it's sort of, oh, funny. Can I get your coffee? It's just, he's just a nice character, and I like I like the fact that we're seeing sort of good guy Bottas arc coming out of all this. It's nice. Definitely Ooh, actual nice. winners though, anyway. Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, but there is a difference. I think those two drivers are winners. I'm not including Ferrari in this. They're just massive cock-ups with the qualifying. And if it wasn't for the safety car, that three-stop with Carlos would not have worked. He would have, I think he probably would have fallen back. It but is very much Carlos Sainz. He can't rely on Ferrari and again, making his own strategy and telling them what to do and then having to listen to him. Yeah. And I mean, Leclerc, despite, you know, qualifying and all that, and then he got tagged in lap seven by Norris and I thought when that happened I thought oh no this is this is the end of Leclerc for that race he came back he did a great recovery drive to take four and last week in the Brazil preview I was saying how well um Verstappen and Hamilton do around here completely forgetting about how good Carlos Sainz is around Brazil as well and you know he, he got had a proper a- podium he got the proper podium that he deserves 
because Ozzy, the first time round, when was it, 2019? He got told that he was third after all the podium celebrations. So he did go up there and celebrate it's it. The same. But it's not the same. He, he, he finally got his moment. And I just think he, he just had a great drive in the yeah. race. And I, I don't, I actually, I'm not sure whether that Ferrari had it in it to do as well as I guess Charles and Carlos really did. I say it's not about the car; it's about the driver, and Carlos definitely proved that. I think they both pulled, and especially them. because I think with Carlos this year, overshadowed possibly a bit by Charles, but Carlos proving that you give me half a chance, and he's quietly there in the background. He's kind of. If Mercedes are the team that are quietly there in the background this year, then Carlos is the driver that is there in the background and just he's not far off and he's still in the mix there. And it's okay, a couple of bad luck things that again, like Ellie may say, more to do with Ferrari than him are the reason he's having to fight Lewis and George in the championship. But if they could get the collective manure together, he would be up there with Leclerc and Perez fighting for P2. And he only needs one more podium to have the same podiums as Charles this year. If you think how much bad luck <laughs> Carlos had, had, I mean, Charles has had his fair share of bad luck as well, but I think Carlos has had quite is, is this your a few kind more of DNFs. But... That's Leclerc, Perez, and Carlos would all take each other out corner one to on lap four in Abu Dhabi now, and it just ruins all of that. I, I think they're all just ready for their villain era, aren't they? I certainly we'll Perez is. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. But first, we want to cap off winners with, of course, a nod to George Russell. Pretty much a faultless drive all weekend, apart from qualifying, which was, oh, I don't know. He did really well to rebuild himself after that. I think it'd be easy to come out of that qualifying session, having made that sort of mistake, and be really downbeaten. And it was like Elimay said, he had the banker lap in there to know it was good and it was just that extra push and even said that he just, when he tried getting it back out of the gravel, it was just too, he was too hungry yeah. for it, essentially. Yeah, he was too over-eager to basically straighten up and come round, looped it on the recovery road and ended up beaching it in the gravel. It's an easy mistake to make when you're under pressure, when you're driving hard because you've you've got this wind that this could be your your weekend to really go for it. You're, you're running hot and yeah, it's an easy enough mistake to make, I should think. But then to be able to, he said in loads of the interviews afterwards, coming up to the race, we saw him with his headphones on, talking to his pit engineers, talking to his race engineers, getting things straight. And they said, we went straight back to basics on sort of doing race starts, doing safety car restarts, just going over mentally and sort of verbally the procedure. So he was in the right headspace to go into this race. So he was thinking as calmly and as procedurally as he possibly could be. And that really showed when it came to his racing. It was very metered, very methodical. There was no big theatrics. There was no pulling out huge gaps on super fast laps and then cooking his tyres. This was George Russell at a sort of consistency and precision level that is undoubtedly one of a future race winner and likely world champion. We gave him the nickname of Mr. Consistency for his qualifying performances. But I think that is slowly going to start to reflect in his race performances. Now he finds his form, finds his feet coming through the front end of the grid. It was sublime and definitely one to keep an eye on, especially if you're Lewis Hamilton going for a championship next year. He is likely to be your biggest threat, aside from possibly a Red Bull. It does remind me, I think, there, if, depending on which one of them goes for it, if it is possible next year to go for it, of now 
Because you've got to, you've got to think that Lewis is still going to be number one in the team just because of the history and how many championships he's got and all that kind of thing. That being said, if it's catch the summer break and Georgia significantly far ahead, I could see Lewis being like, well, I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon, so I'll help George. But if it is the other end, Lewis can go for it and he does have enough of a gap to George, I think George will be able to do what Perez did for Max last year. And definitely he is, He's. I think if, when we can see them properly going for it now, if we can see them on level, then he is better driver than Perez will be. I think he's, he's going on that trajectory. And you will have that kind of... It'll be very interesting if you have four cars for that because nothing gets Bottas last year, but I think at times he wasn't on the same level as Perez. If that... It seems harsh, but you, you know what I'm getting at. You see some moves from Perez in the defence and you think, I don't remember anything as iconic as that from Bottas. Whereas with George, I think back to Spain this year with Max, where you're not going to get that win. You're not going to get that podium maybe even. But you're fighting so damn hard moves. for it. Yeah. And I could see that happening next year if yeah. that was the case. I mean, the, the easy argument there is you look at Perez's defence in Abu Dhabi last year. Exactly. That huge send coming into what would have been turn five, six, or about turn eight or something, or turn nine, going into the new sort of banked hairpin at the top end of the yeah. circuit. That was an almighty send down the inside of Lewis Hamilton to hold him up for one more lap. And Bottas, great driver, lovely fella. But I, we, we never really. I can't, saw I can't like remember that. something of that caliber. No, no, nothing, nothing of his jumps to mind. He said a few race wins to his name. Sure, they were good wins, decent drives, but nothing of that sort of tenacity to really go for it. And yeah, I think we're definitely going to see something akin to that from George, and possibly a slightly higher tier than we've seen with Perez as well. I reckon George has got that little bit more in him to push himself in a little bit more of a different direction to try something just that little bit different. Everyone expects him to go sort of straight down the sort of racing line, something fairly bog standard, and he will come out with something that's just a little bit different, and it will throw people when he does it. It's there's a racecraft to this boy that is something except because of the the williams and the mercedes being what it was this he's had to learn still not we've still not seen his true kind of capabilities yet which is if you're ready may fucking frightening (laughs) i think i think this race definitely a bit like how abu dhabi 2020 was foreshadowing how red bull were in the mix okay no because max won abu I mean, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't Move sure on. if you meant like you're talking about George. Sorry. <laughs> no, that the how like 2020, like that last race foreshadowed what kind of happened then in 2021, and I think this race is foreshadowing what may happen next year. And it's another fun fact: Timo loves them. <laughs> George Russell made his first appearance in F1 in Brazil during FP1 for Force India in 2017. So now he has his first win in Brazil. Does that mean he'll take his first world championship there as well? He's, yeah. I'd be all right for that. I'd be happy if he does, because it would mean the championship next year has gone on for a hell of a while as well. If we're getting to Brazil and we still haven't wrapped it up, that'd be quite exciting. I don't know who will be fighting no. for it. This, but... this is before, this is going to be in 24 where they reject the calendar and Brazil is like the first race after the summer break. <laughs> okay. uh, why have you done that? Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it's a, it's a fun fact, and yeah, the fact that he sort of he took his maiden win where he took his maiden F one drive in that FP one session for Force India. It's interesting how many F one drivers have made their first drives through Force <laughs> India. Would have been funny if his first win would have been Russia, and then it's like, oh, your first, oh dear, no, first championship not going to happen. That yeah, no, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on from 
a very solid drive to spinners and some people who didn't have quite as solid a drive. And admittedly, off the back of Ellie May with Charles Leclerc as her winner, Timo, you've gone the opposite way. Yeah, I'm very disappointed in him. Um, I've it's, it's not been a good weekend for him in my books. And don't get me wrong, Ellie May, fourth place, good recovery. But he should not have been where he was in the first place. And you can blame some of that on qualifying. But isn't the whole point of a sprint weekend that you use the sprint then to recover from the mistakes that you had in qualifying? And is he not in a fairly decent car, as we've proved, and as Carlos Sainz proved as well, by doing a stonky job to get up to second before being demoted to get up to third in the Grand Prix? And it's one thing to ask for your teammate to swap around, as we'll get to in other teams. But when said other driver is on the podium, you can't really be asking for that and expecting that to go anywhere. If it was for first place in the championship, sure. But you made enough mistakes by yourself without Ferrari helping you along earlier in the year to buggy your chances for that one. So why should Carlos give up a podium for you just so you can secure second? Because who honestly remembers second place in a championship? I did a whole series of articles about who did come second in a championship back in the drive drive days. But I mean, I didn't know half of them off the top of my head. I had to go and do a bit of good bit of research on that one. Eddie um, Rick, Nico Rosberg, Yes, but you're anally nerdy about this stuff, Jesse, so let's not go there. Um, and yeah, I was the first just kind of passive aggressiveness on the team radio as well just didn't do any favours for him for me. And I don't think he did himself a lot of favours anyone listening to that. And does make me have a bold prediction, Jesse, you'll be happy to hear, which I will happily put on the spreadsheet for next year because it will need to happen sometime next year for it to, to happen then. Which is, if if Leclerc keeps going with this kind of mindset and this um, behaviour, shall we say, this attitude, I say Ricardo replaces him at Ferrari for 24 Oh, Ferrari and Leclerc just they don't gel. Science is just there doing Carlos science things, and then Honeyker comes in, and it's all sweet. Right, I can see that possibly happening, but not because Ferrari get bored of Charles Leclerc's behavior and drive. I can see it happening because Charles Leclerc gives up on Ferrari, not the other way around. I can see Charles. Yeah, yeah. I'm not okay. I won't be specific on the reason then. Mm. I'll just say that Ricardo replaces Leclerc at 24 if this kind of stuff continues. Because uh, that's I don't know who else they'd have to bring you, in, really. You but, can yeah. definitely... They don't yeah. have anyone else because you've all just got young people like Arthur Leclerc who aren't there yet. And even then, you look at Robert Schwartzman, he'd be pretty pissed if Arthur Leclerc before he did, considering the pecking order there. So Yeah, you're either going to have to go for really Schwartzman, Giovinazzi. Else, I, don't think. I was about to say Giovinazzi. <laughs> If you have the choice between him and Ricardo, even Jesse chooses Ricardo there, I think. So uh, I've got he does if he wants any man outside for the next bit of time anyway. Well, because uh, there was obviously talks of Danny Rick joining Ferrari, what was it, before Charles Leclerc did? Mm. And in, well, and again, when yeah. Vettel, not uh, science did, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not impossible. You could definitely see... I think this race was the first time you saw visible anger from Charles Leclerc. Especially in, after that qualifying as well. Yeah. Which I think if we'd had that earlier in the year from him, 
it might have been better for him and I would have been more sympathetic. But it's the fact that it took him to Brazil, the penultimate round of the season, two or three races after the championship is already well and truly wrapped up for him to then suddenly go, guys, I'm not too happy about this. No shit, Sherlock. You should have been doing this about six months ago when it actually mattered. Who gives a shit about second place? Because, I mean, Max definitely doesn't, but we'll get there. Um, it was kind of... You kind of having this whole reaction is a bit too little too late and maybe you should have just driven better in the sprint and then we wouldn't be there. Yeah, because then maybe Norris wouldn't have even gone into him because he wouldn't have been so far down. That's just my cup of tea. That's all I've got to say. Jesse, let's go for your spinner before I go off my rag even more. Well, I think I'll just bundle up Timo's rag before he completely loses it. I think a little element to this comes down to Ferrari's very strange no-blame strategy that they have in their team. No one is allowed, no one dishes out blame, no one takes blame for anything. It's a team failure. But the problem is that never isolates where problems are coming from that never isolates why a certain thing has become an issue whether it's been strategy whether it's been pit calls whether it's been the actual pit team themselves executing the pits or whether it's been overall direction (laughs) or all of the above yeah there's never been this appropriation of or sort of accommodation of blame to properly find out where problems are stemming from they just go yeah we have some problem in the team where where is it coming from it's in the team. Wait, it, it, we... it reminded me that their strategy I was thinking about over the weekend. You know, Anton Deck on their Saturday Night Takeaway have that segment where they have they whisper things in celebrities' ears that they have yeah. to do them. That's just what they've been doing to Ferrari all season. Like, oh, go on, do this, do this. Oh, don't it, make us do this. You said you would. It's Yeah, it's, it's childish and churlish things that they seem to be doing and throwing away decent results. And I, I think, Charles, for as long as... He has been able to. He's tried to hold this belief in the team and everyone has their breaking point. I think it's more a case of we finally found what Charles' breaking point is and it is being sent out onto a pretty dry track on intermediate tyres to set a bank lap for qualifying. My, that, my only thing on that is the fact that surely someone would have told him we're going to stick your enters and he just, he still, after a long season, went, okay. I don't think anyone told him. I'd be you look at the Ferrari pit calls through that qualifying session. They were double stacking tires with pauses. They didn't know what tires they were bringing. If they didn't tell him, then that's an even worse thing. But in some ways, it's kind of like I can understand that. But it's just I feel like you would also maybe, considering the year you've had, you be the one to take the lead and take the charge. And as Carlos has, and goes, so what tires are we on? And why are we on this? And then get someone to tell him why. Because I feel like if that wasn't done either on his end, then as angry as he is, why are you not checking? You know yeah, they're going to be... He should have done it, but at the same time, he's still did. working in this realm of belief that the team is good. They're a team that he's idolised since he was a kid. He's got that opportunity that every F1 driver wants. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But he, he is fighting that at the moment. And he's finally getting to the point where he is going to have to draw a line in the sand and go... If you do not buck your ideas up for 2023, 2024, you'll be looking for a new driver to fill this seat. I guarantee. And he's not going to get a seat anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the question is where is Charles going to go unless he, unless Perez leaves Red Bull? Formula E. Formula E. That is where he's going to go. Unless he's going to be grateful for it. Max and Charlotte Red Bull? I reckon that'd be too many fireworks for Red Bull. And it would involve Perez leaving and them not moving someone else in. Possibly McLaren depends on how well Piastri gets on there. It, yeah, it's a tight he's thing. He's not going to win a championship. I'm going to no. say it now. And the fact is, with I mean, anyone, 
Yeah, and he's hemmed into the point where he pretty much has to stick it with Ferrari until he knows that there's going to be seats opening up elsewhere if he wants to stay in Formula One. He's stuck there. And that is also going to be infuriating for him. It's it's got to be. I like the I like the idea of in a few years Haas are a solid midfield team and they just start showing a bit of anchor. Like, come on, come over here. Look how good we're looking. I think. I mean, you see it a bit more from Carlos, but him making his own decisions. But I think one of them, or they need to club together and be like, right, we're doing this because I guess I still that's think kind that of what- Charles still believes he's the number one driver there though even if it's not like official so I don't think he I think he'd be reluctant to do that with Carlos whereas Carlos had more of that team building together mindset whereas Charles just assumes it's all there for him anyway yeah Charles assumes he's going to be on everything should be falling in place whereas Carlos like I take nothing for granted Mm. he's been in so many different teams he knows how all these different things work at this point yeah, Charles is assuming that as number one driver in his mind, that everything he is given in that team is going to be handed to him on a silver platter and it's going to be the best possible thing. So he doesn't really gonna isn't gonna question it. If it's like Lewis Hamilton doesn't when he was winning championships, wasn't hugely questioning things. When he was really starting to fight for things, that was when we saw Lewis start questioning tire calls, pit strategies. And so we've almost got Charlotte that sort of relaxed sort of I'm number one driver I'm getting what's best regardless and that's why we see the opposite of that in Carlos he sort of knows that if he wants to get the most in this team he's going to have to physically ask for it and demand it and I think that's why we're seeing this split in the two drivers and ultimately one of those is going to work best when you're dealing with Ferrari and at the moment it seems to be Carlos Sainz's option of literally asking Ferrari what are you doing now no we're not doing that we're doing this and we saw that work start working with Seb towards the end of 2020 when he was literally having to spell out to the pit crews how to do a pit strategy mid-race it's infuriating as a Ferrari fan watching them do so many basic errors and they're fumbling great talent and that's the worst half of it I think one of them needs to become a bit more like Schumacher and just start calling the shots it's going to be yeah. um, I think it is. I want, I love them both and I want them to equally, I want them both to win a championship. But I think maybe that's the flaw of Ferrari that they've kind of put Charles in like bubble wrap and like protected him at all costs. And he's kind of like their baby that now he doesn't quite know how to call the shots whilst Carlos has come in and been like, right, I'm coming in on the days that you're just, I don't know. He's kind of the modern day because I don't think he would ever say anything quite like this and make it publicly, not necessarily, but he needs to do what Nicky Lauder essentially did. This Ferrari is shit. <laughs> we build it. <laughs> and the same as what he did when Lauder arrived at BRM in the early days as well. He literally mm-hmm. came in and rebuilt stuff and he did it again when he went to Ferrari because he knew what he wanted from a car and Carlos knows that because he's obviously driven for Renault he's driven for McLaren he knows what he wants in a car and knows how to get that from two different chassis prior to this plus just last year's Ferrari plus and now a very different design style he knows what he wants in a car he knows how to get that from a car and he's driven he knows that the chance at a top end team he's been fighting with midfield teams the rest of his career the previous parts of his career science knows that if he wants to make a big stand he's going to have to do it while he's at ferrari is the best tools he's likely going to have available to him for the rest of his career if he's going to do it he's going to have to do it for as long as his contract is with them 
and he's going to have to play that carefully to not rock the boat, but he's going to have to rock it enough to start making waves. And I think that's where we're seeing the sort of Carlos performances coming out almost on top of Charlotte times. Yeah, anyway. I think... No, it's okay. Because I kind of half forgot my point. <laughs> we shall leave Ferrari there then, uh, because we probably could do a whole other podcast on just Ferrari, which we may do in the off-season. I was going to say, we've just got plenty of off-season bits your... to do. We can do one just slamming Ferrari. Um, we'll go for... Yeah, slamming spinner, though, Jesse. Yeah, a different, a different team to slam. Um, McLaren, my note to this one simply says, f***ed it, fellas. Um Danny Rick. Really say much more else, do we? There, to be honest, do no, we? Um, if you watch the race, you know what happened. Yeah, Danny Rick into the back of Magnuson on lap one, screwed Magnuson's race, and Magnuson then sort of in return coasted in reverse into Danny Rick and just sort of. It's quite a hard smack when you look at it. I didn't quite, think it'd be quite such a. It looks quite slow speed, but yeah, he, it's a fairly brutal punt, and um, yeah, just end of Danny Rick's race there and he's got a three place grid drop for Abu Dhabi which I'm, I don't think he cares too much to be I don't think he cares too much he's out at the end of this year and part of me thinks I don't think that's enough he's absolutely tanked someone else's race there someone, it wasn't like a purposeful thing though I think like there wasn't yeah. I don't think there was much of a gap but I don't it wasn't think a gap he just went straight to the gap either it was just kind of there wasn't anywhere to go and it was he just went kind of little just into the back of him and I, I think possibly tried to avoid locking up and doing it so he's trying to do it yeah. on modulating be, if it wasn't Magnus it'd have been someone else yeah so I think, I think yeah it was it was purely accident in that I think if if he had just tagged him and Magnuson had spun and but they both carried on he would have got like a 10 second penalty mm. so I kind of think yes he needed a penalty and it was definitely going to be obviously a grid place penalty but I think three is more than enough because if it was if Magnuson had carried on, it wouldn't have been a very harsh penalty. It was just I, I think mean, it was it wasn't like lap one anyway, so it was just race lap one. Yeah, they were almost sort of a racing incident at that point. I think three is about balanced in retrospect, but yeah. And then equally, Lando didn't have a great time with things either. Obviously, suffered a bit of it looked like a sort of snap of oversteer then understeer trying to fight Charles Leclerc coming through I think it was that turn six I think off the top of my head and yeah it wasn't a brilliant race from him admittedly he was fighting a few sort of personal gremlins with a, a bit of a dicky belly and feeling very much off the boil through the entire weekend some brilliant performances from him should have done they had some brilliant performances from him nonetheless he did really well to stand up to clearly a fairly horrid bout of illness he did not look well across the weekend but there was a lot of calls from McLaren that could have just been done differently and yeah just not their weekend would you like another fun fact go on this is the first McLaren double DNF since Monaco 2017 ooh that's kind of surprising given just yeah. over the last few years. Ooh, so what's that? And that, that was also been... the one that Jensen Button was in. Yeah, that was uh, oh, Button well, sitting that, that in for Alonso. Yeah. He teased seat. He did. He commemorated it, so. Anyway, moving on from me sort of slamming McLaren, Ellie Mae, Red Bull, this your is spinners. This we really wanted to talk about Ellie Mae. I don't even know where to start. I do. It was just, but it's your thing, so I'll let you do it. Well, I'll start it off by saying, <laughs> firstly, I don't think Red Bull had an answer to Mercedes this race. I think Mercedes were just 
dominant. And I think that's probably going to come quite shocking to uh, Red Bull that Mercedes are kind of back. I don't know whether it's track dependent or whether they are they've like been strong back. since around Austin time. And I mean, pre summer break, they've been showing that they're at least getting onto the podium consistently. But in terms of because I mean, you could say that a few of the like Austin and Mexico could have been theirs had the races been a little bit shorter. But this is so it's it's creeping up for a while. And I think maybe they just didn't realize Mercedes have, Mercedes have definitely been strong, but Red Bull have always had an answer and they've always had a bit more of a powerful car that they've been like, yeah, we cannot overtake you on outright pace. And they just couldn't this race. And then I will let you go on your rant about this because I personally am not too sure I want to go in on it. I want to talk about the wider picture. So I will let you go in on the radio calls. I will just just go over what happened again and just have some questions about it. I just want to have a conversation about it, Ellie. I just want to have a conversation. Okay. So, (laughs) So Perez is asking to get to swap back places with Max after Max was let through to go and get Alonso, which amusingly enough, he couldn't do in a Red Bull against an Alpine, which I just feel like needs to be said a few more times because how often do we get to say it, that? It was very much, where was Red Bull's pace? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's the mind boggles. So that's, that's a thing in itself. And then as we've had... With many other team before, when there's been a situation like that, the cars would get swapped back around again. It, it happens on the last lap. It's fine. They always make sure that they, unless there's a massive risk all of a sudden, which there wasn't in this case, that you can still do it. And Perez needs all the points he can get to secure second place because whilst I, like I was saying, who really cares about second place, it looks very good for Red Bull if they can storm away with the champ for Max and for the constructors as, as a whole and then have their driver in second place because that's not happened for a long time either um, and at this point Max has won the championship again I need to I feel like I need to say that again just to hammer the point home he won it ages ago at this point and doesn't need any more points he, could, he doesn't even need to be in the race arguably uh, for not, not even for Red Bull purposes because again they've won the Constructors Championship that's all done so why does he not they don't, not just a case of oh I we ran out of time oh there was a possibility that if I let Perez pass I was going to get overtaken by someone else nothing from that just flat out I told you before I'm not doing this but you have my reasons and just refuses whatsoever. And if Leclerc now clinches second place in the in the drivers' championship, which I admit I am conflicted on, because after Leclerc this weekend, I don't know if I wanted to get second place or if one person to do it. I don't know anymore. It's a whole mess. It's a shame George isn't closer because I mean, technically, if they both DNF and George wins and gets fastest lap, he can beat them by a point. But I don't think that's going to happen. As funny as that would be, um, he did it. He did it yesterday. I know, but I don't want to get it. Don't don't make me dream like that, anyway. Do not make me dream like that. Um, dangerous. Be funny. 
but it's dangerous. Um, and I just, the mind boggles because it, I, I'm very much Team Perez here, Ron. He has been your perfect wingman for the last, definitely in 21. And to kind of go off what Max was, uh, what Perez was saying, sorry, on Team Radio, he wouldn't, he definitely wouldn't have that championship if it wasn't for Perez. And whilst yeah. he hasn't needed his help as much this year, Perez certainly helped him way more than he needed to. Spain being the obvious example there. That early on in the season, happily lets him through. And well, not necessarily happily, but they have a talk about it later. It's all fine. He doesn't mind because he thinks it's going to come back later. If the roles were reversed, you'd do the same for me. Plot twist, no, he bloody wouldn't. He wouldn't even do it when it doesn't matter. And I'm just I'm fascinated to know what these reasons are that Max Verstappen has for not letting a teammate pass when it doesn't matter for him whatsoever because he's totally like it's not going to like he's going to break a record on points for a season or anything or he's not even going to get a podium like Leclerc was trying to get from signs wasn't like that wasn't going to get a win doesn't need a win he's already broken that record so I'm just very intrigued there and also as I think it was Chris Medland was saying on social media what incentive now does Perez have to ever help Max again if when the situation is reversed for such a minor thing never mind a when it actually matters in like a, a race win, even a crucial podium for a constructors championship, or even if Paris is in the position to win a world championship, that Max would not help him. And I find it interesting that Christian and saying, Oh, we've had a talk, they've shaken hands and we're going to do everything we can to help Paris and Everdabian right. I believe that when I see it, because as we said in the group chat last night, this could be very for next year if Paris just you know what? No, I don't think I will help you. And as Jesse and I we were saying earlier, his defensive moves that we know about, if he starts deploying those against Max, that could get quite fun. Yeah, it's... That's all I will say for now. <laughs> obviously, we don't... I don't know whether we'll ever know the reasons that Max Verstappen had for Netflix, not... Netflix, you have one job here. You need to infiltrate this camp so badly for Drive to Survive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm... I'm not going to defend Max, and I'm not trying to. I think what he did was wrong. He should have he should have given Perez it back for how much he's helped him. Um, I just think the wider scenario here is the people like the pe- people are just going off on social media, and I'm like, okay, like what he did is not it's not great. But, like, to the point that people are, like, it's just gone crazy. Like, you know, Daniel Ricardo on his Daniel JPEG Instagram, one of his pictures that he posted, like, to, I think it's today, Max Verstappen is the first um, picture, photo, yeah. um, photo. And people in the comments have put, like, I'm not liking this because Max is the first person on it and we all hate Max now. We've lost all respect from him. And I'm like, People are just very quick to go off on social media. And I'm like, you need to, re- I think, remember team orders and whatnot have gone on for years. Like you have multi-21 with Seb and even more crazily, you have Ruben, Ruben Barras, Barras Kelly oh. giving up his Austrian win Grand Prix, yeah. for Michael Schumacher. And 
I think the wider picture here is just team orders. I, I do I agree with you on the fact that social media people there are definitely going way overboard, which is not surprising. It's expected at this point. It's still disappointing. And yeah, team orders, they, sh- they I mean, even when they were banned, they still found ways around it. So there is that problem. And I do think at the same time, um, if you're good enough, then you should just race each other and sort it out amongst yourselves. But I then do think you get into the dangerous territory we saw in the sprint with Alpine, Aston Martin, um, which is great for us as fans to watch. But if you're the team there, especially when it actually matters, which they're lucky it happened here in a way because it doesn't matter as much because, again, it's a P2 for a driver. Um, so there's, there's less consequence to it. But I just think that you say multi-21 there, it just basically Christian looking at the situation, oh, shit, here we go again. I thought we had this. <laughs> I thought we had a team that was actually going to work. We finally found a good good second driver after Daniel left. It took us th- so many years to get that oiled. And then, oh, shit, it's Weber 2.0. Here we go. We're going to have to deal with and this again. I have to remember, Sebastian Vettel will get booed when you go on a podium. Like, it always happens in Formula One. People people get over it. Look how well-loved Seb is now. And, like, we look oh, yeah. back at Michael Schumacher years and he's adored as well. And it's like people will just get over it. It's just, I think the difference is now we have social media so people can put their reactions on very quickly. And and obviously now people are like putting all the conspiracies on what Max's reasons were. And it's like, unless we actually hear it, it's just... Just, is, it, is, it, is it frustratingly going to be one of those things that I don't think we're ever going to know for certain because Red Bull are just not going to put out a statement saying, well, we had a meeting with Max during the summer and he said this and this, and we we're like, all right, we'll, we'll sign it. They're not going to do that. And it, I just think that after what, in my opinion, considering what we were promised with the new regulations at the beginning of the year and what we were teased for the first two or three races – for what has for me turned into possibly one of the most boring <laughs> F1 seasons for since 2013. And even then, 2013 was still quite exciting. I just forget about the first half generally when I think about it. Um, I'm actually now looking forward to 2023 because you've got, like we said earlier, Charles doing whatever Charles is doing. You've got Mercedes coming back into it. And then you've had what was looking like possibly a, as close to a perfect team as you can get. And Max just decides to throw a grenade in there for, from what we can see, no apparent reason. There's no need for it. And you just think, this is perfect now. It could get actually quite interesting because as much as we want the other seven teams to make the jump up to be able to come and fight for positions and wins, if we have these three teams that's up there and we have this kind of spice in there, 2023 might actually be all right. And I regret saying that immediately because I've jinxed that now. But I just, you've got to feel for Perez. And you, I mean, did you see Papa Perez? Did you see him? He was not a happy yeah. bunny. He looked he sad. Was not happy. He looked sad. And that is not something we want. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know why he did. He should have just. Especially as. Perez kind of let Verstappen past 
the first time round. It wasn't because like because he trusted Max, him. Yeah, it wasn't like Max overtook him completely on merit, and then Perez is like, okay, give me it back. Because then we'd kind of understand it, it, where Max is coming from. You remember Brazil last year when Bottas and Hamilton were inverted, and then Hamilton got on the radio saying. Oh, tell Bottas, but what, what's he doing? Come, come with me. We'll go get him together. We'll go. We'll, I won't just win this. We'll get a one-two, and we'll really stick it to them. And I just go back to this one, thinking Max didn't do anything like Thunder is We'll go get Alonso together. You, you can, I'll give you a slipstream. We can go and like go and get him on the sides or something. None of that kind of thing. I just found it again interesting. And, We've seen. Uh, We've seen the team orders played better with Lewis. Uh, Mercedes know how to play the team orders a lot better, I think, than Red Bull. We've seen it previously with Lewis and Bottas. I think it was when Kimi was still at Ferrari. They said, Bottas let Lewis through. If he can't catch Kimi by the end, he'll let you back through. And Lewis yeah, did. And he, and he did, yeah. And again, it's, it's an understanding and a, a balance between teammates. And again, I think this is one of the... It's an often overlooked thing with Lewis is the general wider appreciation he has of racing and his teammates and the bigger picture. Because again, he is, I don't want to say he's an elder statesman of it, but he is older than Max Verstappen coming into this. And at the time that he did that move with Bottas and around trying to overtake Kimi Raikkonen, he was far more experienced and he knew what this would mean more to Bottas than it would to him, yada, yada, yada. And you see it more, he's a far more conscientious person. I think that's the other element to this is Max still has some of that sort of fiery youth that we saw coming through in his early Red Bull years, that sort of, I will sort of push Esteban Ocon off the weighing scales if he so much as displeases me. Started sort of, I don't want to say spiciness to it because that downplays it, but this immaturity. arrogance and immaturity. Yeah. And that could spin off to be dangerous if it's not properly addressed when we have the two drivers coming together on track. I think there is wider implications to his behavior. And another key element. That's bad enough when you're in separate teams. It's so much worse when it's your teammate. Yeah. And I think the further element is, and I don't want to sort of throw fuel on a rather stupid fire that someone set off for no reason, but, and I will. The conspiracy theories that have come spiraling out of this are quite entertaining. It's what are Max's reasons? That's the on a base level. I want to know. So Max's don't reasons say what any of them are. Don't don't go into that because I'm, you just go and find them for yourself. You can but go and find them for yourself. Outrageous. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok—they're all out there. They're all easy to find. I think the most common one at the Tumblr. moment is Tumblr has probably got them as well. If you look really hard enough, someone's got it on MySpace, maybe even Bebo. Um, but the fact maybe even is, LinkedIn. Oh, Christ. Um, Mercedes admin posting on LinkedIn um, but I think there is there is a lot to come from it I would like to know Max's reasons for not letting Perez pass aside from the fact they pulled out an absolutely mega gap on Perez he would have to really slow down to let Perez come through again it would look a bit odd um, he could still come last and it wouldn't bloody matter though it, it wouldn't matter That's the, that is the whole element of this <laughs> that's the only problem with all of this for him there is no reason <laughs> Yeah, but there has to be a reason. He said something about reasons. There's some sort of agreement they've had that maybe this season he does not... Maybe maybe it's something as simple as, yeah, this season he does not have any team orders against him. Everything Perez does has to be in Max's favour. That might be what it is. Something as simple as that. It's not hugely illogical, but it's not logical at the same time. The one that's really catching fire at the moment, and I can't get why, is Perez crash getting qualifying at Monaco because everyone's gone, oh, I've listened back to his throttle and you can hear him pick up the throttle a little bit earlier in the corner and that's why he spins it round. You're sort of going, 
probably picks up the throttle a bit early because he's pushing hard to set a Q3 lap time. That's probably why he's picking up the throttle a little bit earlier, coming out of a corner. Again, though, just assuming for a second that... No, but again, I think it's because it denied Max from getting pole that he's annoyed by that. And again, if that's what we're working with, the immaturity that you would still be having sourness so much later, you've wrapped up the championship with however many races to go, and you've done X, Y, and Z, and you're still... Bitter about one race? Yeah. Where it didn't matter? It does. The man can hold a grudge longer than I can. And that's saying something. That is saying something, ladies and gentlemen. But equally, it speaks volumes for Max's immaturity, and it's it's not a good look. I think is the key element here, and it's, it, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how Red Bull address this moving forwards. Can it's I just not, point out? Oh, go on. I'll let you say last bit. Though. Uh, I was just going to say, I I agree, again. and I will I will say, I'll only say one conspiracy because it is my favorite conspiracy of them all, and it's that. Max Verstappen is paying homage to Seb's Multi 21 in sort of a in a way that because Sebastian Vettel's leaving the champion uh, F1 that that Red Bull are now trying to show ways of giving back to Seb. Oh, sorry, I, I like that one. Some of the stuff you've been saying on previous podcasts, Jesse, and what you've been saying tonight, I need to know what what drugs your suppliers are giving you. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Best kind. We'll move on from that, from our, what has been a very long Winners and Spinners. I know both team and I are going to check our watch. There's been in about hours of Winners and Spinners there, which is usually as long as it takes to read one of my original Winners and Spinners articles. Um, we'll move on to Constructors and Drivers Countdown, where I haven't really bothered doing a countdown for it this week because there's not been any changes in the standings. We're just seeing gaps close up across the board. The only change has been Charles and Checo uh, swapping positions. So Charles technically leads Perez now, despite both of them tying on 290 points. Charles has more wins, so leads the Mexican driver going into Abu Dhabi. Jack only has two wins this season. No, I just thought it was 190 points, but I must have misread something earlier. That's all. It's it's 290, but they're still 100 odd points shy of Max. Yeah. That's possibly yeah. what it is there, like 130 points shy of Max. Um, although when it comes to the constructors, Ferrari is still being hunted down by Mercedes. Uh, there is not a big gap between them. And um, yeah, it's 19 points, the same gap that is between Alpine and McLaren, funnily enough, in the fight for fourth place in the standings. So we'll 19 have to wait. points... Sorry, 19 points between Ferrari and Mercedes. Actually, it seems like a lot, but I don't think it it's is. It's really not. Even between McLaren and When you remember that Alpine, one of those teams not. is Ferrari, it suddenly seems like a lot less. It, mm. it just takes two DNS from Ferrari and Mercedes to be in the points. Or um, not even a DNF. It, one Ferrari to finish outside the points, one of them to finish yeah. as like, low as like... 10th or 9th and Mercedes in, just need to win in other it, words so. Jesse you're describing a classic Ferrari strategy I'm describing a classic Ferrari strategy or exactly what F1 would like especially F1 and Abu Dhabi would like you to think is a big Abu Dhabi showdown which we'll wait and see it's not going to be as good as last year's showdown but the question is who do we think is going to take P2 for drivers and P4 for constructors I've got my wild George Russell prediction from earlier because Ellie May dared me to so let's go for that <laughs> P4 is, I I think it's Alpine's. You reckon? Yeah, and it's really hard. I don't know who I want, who I really want for second out of Leclerc and Perez. I think 
I think because of how Ferrari started, just as a consolation, at least if Leclerc's second, it's... It makes up for something. Yeah. Mm, it'll be interesting. Flashing back a long, long way to when we had Ben Wellham on the podcast at the very start of the season. Timo winces at this moment because he knows I've got his predictions from the start of the season up. Um, Timo, you predicted second place would go to Carlos Sainz. Any May should love me for that, to be fair. My I wish opinion. it did. Actually, well, I predicted Carlos Sainz would win it. I predicted that. Okay, then I prefer that. I predicted George Russell would come second in the drivers. Um, Teams-wise, I predicted second place is Ferrari. Timo agreed with me on that one. Both of us predicted Red Bull third place and Mercedes a win, which was quite a bold call. Um, so that's the only reason I had Ferrari in second. <laughs> yeah, and both of us predicted McLaren taking fourth place with... I went for Alpine fifth. You went for Alpine seventh. Ouch. I put a lot of stock in the new regulations and I have been let down. <laughs> you put a lot of stock in the new regulations. A lot, where a did lot you, of stock. Where did you put Aston Martin? Uh, both of us put them in P8. Which I think... I, I, like, I like that I still wasn't that ambitious for them. <laughs> so Timo's, Timo's rundown goes Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, Alpha Tauri, Williams, Alpine, Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo, Haas. Oh. Mine is a little more logical of Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Williams, Aston Martin, Haas, Alfa Romeo, which I don't feel is quite as crazy. Mm. Ben, on the other hand, went for McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, Williams, Aston Martin, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Haas, Alfa Tauri. So he's actually not too far off with some of those, but yeah, I've already started feeling it. It makes me suspicious of, of him, have never watching F1 before. It seems too. Oh, come on. He predicted his bottom five is Gasly, Joe, Alonso, Ocon, Perez. This man had never seen a Formula One race before in his life. All I say is you've got to make a convincing lie. You've got to balance it out. He predicted Daniel Ricciardo P5. Yeah, and he should be there. He should be. Yeah. He also, so, pred he also predicted Mick Schumacher podium. I'm not where mad at that. Should, where he should also be. So I don't know what you're getting at, Jesse. Get to the predictions review. Yes, right. We'll move on from a our constructors check-in to um, our predictions review. And it's another week of just Ellie May getting points. Look at that smug little face. Two points on the board for Russell fastest lap and a Hamilton P2. We'll cross live to Ellie May now for a live reaction. Can you, like, does this mean now that no one can reach me in points? I think um, I have to have like a perfect weekend to, to Let's see. So essentially, there is we have one, two, you three, can get five four, points, five, six points on ours because we have pole, the three podiums, fastest oh, yeah. lap, and madcap. So that's yeah. six points available each race week. So is Ellie May six points clear of anyone? It needs to be well, me because you're not getting this, Jay, Jesse. Uh, she's seven points clear of you and eight points clear of me. We can declare at this point Ellie May yes. is officially champion. Oh, Ellie May, Juvis Weltmeister. I'm so proud of myself. She came into the WWE style belt now. And who knew it would be Mercedes helping me? Who knew George Russell 
with those those fastest laps over the past few races have yep. really given you a bit of a, a, a pickup there, especially given the fact that you came into the race, the season, one, two, three, four, four races late, and you still pretty much dominated. You've got a 1.5 average across every race. You always score a point and a half, essentially. This isn't going to be wow. my defence. It's going to be more of a... I know why I'm not winning because I went for some madcap stuff at times. It's more of a Jesse. What happened? I I honestly don't know. There was there was some sense. <laughs> I know I wasn't going to get this because I just like to go and throw as much at the wall at times as I can. And um, if half of what I had predicted had actually happened, it'd be great fun. But I know I'm not going to necessarily do that. But Jesse Billington, are you? Do we need to have a talk? Are you okay? <sighs> I don't, life, all right. I don't know. I just keep looking at this and it's all like Leclerc pole, Leclerc win. I had so much hope and faith and optimism. <laughs> You're like Leclerc. I, yeah, I, I, I might just have to quit and go and do Formula E. I don't know. But then wasn't there a period where I was just getting like slowly a point after point from my wild predictions? It was my wild predictions that somehow got me through it for a bit. And then it was like my fastest laps with George my wins with the Max Verstappen as well. I think I, I just for ages. That was, that was, was the thing that undid me. I hated going for safe, safe predictions. Whereas you're like, nah, Max, 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 Max. I can understand because she's probably right, but I just gotta, I gotta believe a little bit that something spicy will happen at some point. <laughs> well, didn't. at one point, I think I can't remember what race it was, but I made some really sensible predictions, and then my wild prediction. This was when Haas was really low. That the Haas was in the points. Mm. And it was my Hass one that got me the point and all my other sensible ones were really like, I didn't get one. Uh, yeah, British Grand Prix, which was Leclerc pole, Leclerc wins, Science second, Verstappen third, Science fastest lap, Hass get points. You got the one for Hass points. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of other ones that were just sort of pretty pretty out there that, that earned you a few decent points. Williams top 10, and that would have been Belgium. Australia. No, Belgium. She wasn't here for Australia. She went Williams top, <laughs> Williams top 10 and Sainz coming home P3. And again, two points on the board there. Just the best one she had, I think, was her four-pointer, which was for the Dutch Grand Prix. This is this is Ellie Mae's highlight reel at this point. And so the podcast is already looking like it's an hour and a half long, Jesse. So have fun with this. But <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so she went for Leclerc pole, Verstappen win, Russell second, Perez third, uh, Verstappen fastest lap, and then Aston Martin finishes higher than McLaren. Sure enough, four points. So she got another four-pointer as well. Jesus Christ. Japan. How did you get any points out of Japan? <laughs> Verstappen pole, Verstappen win, Perez second, Hamilton third, Russell fastest lap, Latifi doesn't DNF, and it's not his fault if he does. And then you got a bonus for if we eclipse five DNFs. So somehow you got the, you think, yeah, we awarded you the bonus for that one as well. Across the board, points to everyone, it seems to have been. Hang on, for some reason, this doesn't have anything written down for the Mexican Grand Prix. Nothing happened, that's why. Right, let's try and recount what happened at the Mexican Grand Prix. Verstappen pole. Can you do that in your own time? No, let's do that you now. Because this preview episode to do. This sake. could be about to change the standings, Timo. Oh, it's no. not going to give you oh, eight no. points long-haired monster 
it, it might bring me closer if Ellie Mae gets none it could put me within six points that's all I need I, def- I, I need definitely it. got one for, Ma- for George Russell's fastest lap <laughs> let's see so um, George was bringing home the points can someone bring up the results for the Mexican Grand Prix no so 2022 Grand um, do, 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 do here we go here we go here we go Max Verstappen uh, Got pole, oh, so that's winners. a point for me, a point for Timo, no points for Ellie May, who predicted Leclerc. Ha ha! See, I'm already <laughs> gaining. I'm already gaining. Um, Perez did not win it, so it's no points for Timo and I. No points for Ellie May with a science uh, prediction. Ocon didn't yeah. come second. Science didn't come second. Perez didn't come second. <laughs> I forgot how bad you were for Mexico with Ocon. You stupid bastard. <laughs> Third place, Hamilton. He got second in the end. Russell didn't get that one. Leclerc didn't get that one. Fastest lap did not go to Ocon. It didn't go to Verstappen. It went to Russell. Uh, Science didn't get a penalty for that race, did he? No, but he got a penalty for this one. So I was just a bit too early in my prediction. Your premature penultimation there. Uh, Ricardo did not get P4 and did not wear a sombrero. And Piastri did not replace Fernando Alonso. So yeah... um, I don't think that's done anything to help the situation. That's just there. everyone got one singular point, didn't they? That yeah, was... I think everyone moved forward one step, if anything, just further solidifying Ellie May's championship there. That terrible disappointment. Fantasy F1 review. You, you want to talk about terrible disappointment? Yeah, because I'm in this and I've accepted defeat in this a long ago and I don't really care. It's a good week to be me. 22 points clear at the front of the results over Hansen and third place goes to my girlfriend's team of tall drivers, no doubt bolstered by George's win, but also a weekend of what could have been having chosen Max as her mega driver instead of Russell. Still in the overall standings, Alex H leads Alan G and then it's both my teams. And then in fifth place, it's Tejas. Timo, you have yet to crack the 3000 club. Congratulations. I don't know how far off I am and I don't care either, to be honest, because I've I, I, I was saying to Jesse Ellie, Ellie May, before you, you turned up for the podcast, as it's Abu Dhabi, I have just completely wiped out the team aside from Lewis and Mercedes as the two uh, stable things. And I've put in Ricardo, Mick, Latifi and Vettel because I can't do it next year. And that is all my logic that I need. It's fair logic, but yeah, you're like 120 points off making the 3,000 limit. I think there's only two teams that haven't done it and you're one of them. Anyway, that is literally all we have time for on this week's episode, this mega episode of about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, we'll quickly... Next for yeah, we'll wrap up. It's quite lengthy. We, we go on a fair few rants. Um, Timo, where can the people find you very quickly? You can find me over on Is It Faster? I have a lovely Nitro RX article, which is doing very well at the moment. You can also find me over on, on The Curbs, the uh, also Nitro RX podcast, uh, Paddock Sorority Instagram, and possibly this week, later on, depending, I've added another one, because why not? Paddock Passion, ladies and gentlemen, I am doing some writing for them, so I shall have my thoughts on the F1 Sprint in written form, which will be out over there. So go have a read. Very fun. Ellie May, where can the people find you? You can find me sipping my Fortnum and Mason Calmarty, just thinking about how victorious I've been in my predictions this year. That's fair enough. 
And if you want more of me, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter as Jesse on Cars. And you can also find me at Classic Car Weekly. If you buy this week's edition, you'll get a series of interviews between me, Richard Hammond, Johnny Smith from Fifth Gear, and Alex Kirsten, who used to be on Car Throttle and now has his own YouTube channel. Very interesting. Fifth, Plus, there's... Fifth Gear still going. It's still going. Yeah, it's in like its twenty seventh, twenty eighth season. Yeah, that's brave. It's bold of them. They're still going. It's pretty good. But yeah, Johnny Smith, brilliant chap to chat with. And he does the Smith & Sniff podcast if you want just like fun motoring frolics with cars. Um, yeah, all of them absolute brilliant folk to chat with. And uh, yeah, there's all of our coverage from the NEC Classic Motor Show in this week's edition of Classic Car Weekly. But that's that. And this is this. This is the Undercut Podcast. And we are going to go and preview the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Grand Prix.